1: Hi, I'm Rich Schmidt. I'm here with Michelle Kaufman. Uh, we're at the Shehalem Tasting Room in Newburgh. It's March 15th, 2019. Um, and Michelle will start you like we always start people. Uh, why wine?
2: This, for me, um, it's a really great question. Uh, it's not a linear path as it was for some other people. Um, I went to college a little bit later in life and during my time in college I sold books door to door in rural America. So every time I came home to Oregon, I'm a native Portlander, every time I came home I'd hit the Blue Mountains and it'd be like, oh my god, Oregon, my people, I'm home, (laughs) right? Like this is, I love this state, it made me appreciate Oregon and Portland in a way that I never did before. And when I was getting ready to graduate with a degree in public relations, I, um, I wanted to work for something that allowed me to express my joy for our state and what makes Oregon so special. And um, amazingly, as that was happening, the Oregon Wine Board was looking to bring on a communications coordinator, and I couldn't think of a better industry that really allows me, as a communications professional, to go out and talk about every day what makes Oregon so special, what makes
1: it so unique. So did you have any interest in wine before that?
2: I mean, I drank wine. (laughs) Did I know much about it? No. Was I drinking as good of wine as I am now? No. Um, But it it really, we have a truly special industry here.
1: So you said you studied PR, journalism, uh, when you were in college. Uh, What did you think you would do?
2: Um, So I, right out of high school, didn't think I needed college because, you know, when you're 18, you're super smart, you know everything. Um, So I woke up somewhere right around 22 and was like, I've made a terrible decision. (laughs) And so I decided to go back to college and originally I thought I wanted to go into radio and broadcasting. And in my first term, fall fall term, freshman year, discovered public relations and that that was a thing. And I was like, that's what I want to do with my life. And so everything from that point on was how do I become a public relations professional. Um, you know, originally my dream was to do it for film and TV, uh, which I have a full bachelor's degree in film critique. Mm -hmm. Do I do anything with that degree? No. (laughs) But, um, that's what I thought, and what was the question you asked me? I've totally lost track.
1: What did you think you were going to do with your degree?
2: Oh, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, I thought I was going to do it. I thought it was going to be in PR, but not for wine. Mm And I remember interviewing with Charles Humble, who I have to give all the credit in the world to for getting me started in this industry. He took a belief on me. I had no uh, wine experience whatsoever, but I knew how to work hard. I had good ethic. I knew how to, the difference between refusal and rejection. I can cold call all day long with no worries whatsoever. And in PR, we need that. Mm -hmm. Uh, No fear to go up to people and be like, hi, my name's Michelle, how are you? Um, Yeah and now I, I get to do it in wine. And again, talking about what makes Oregon so great.
1: Sure. So, so you mentioned Charles Humble uh, at yeah. the, the Wine Board. Um, tell me a little bit about when you found this position out there, your process to applying for it and then getting it, and then what yeah. it was like when you started.
2: Yeah. Um, so. I had been talking to a high-tech PR company um, about their internship program, and when all was said and done, I missed their internship program by about a week. And the recruiter that I was talking with really loved me, loved my attitude, but again, this is a big firm, so they're very strict on when they let people come in, and I had clearly missed that window. And she says to me, I have a friend that's recruiting, do you mind if I pass along your resume?" And I think to myself, sure, go for it, like what's that going to do? And two weeks later I get this email from Charles and he's like, you know, we're, we're looking to bring on an intern and potentially a communications coordinator, would you be interested in coming in and having an interview? Mm-hmm. This is on my birthday. <laughs> um, I'm like, yes, 100%. So I go in, and we have the most fabulous interview that I've ever had. Uh, I knew that I nailed it instantly. And I remember him asking me, uh, do you drink wine? Of course I did, but again, my answer was not good. I, at the time, I drank very cheap Syrah. Um, I still love Syrah, <laughs> but not that quality of Syrah. Um, and I hated Chardonnay hated Chardonnay and I remember saying something to that effect in the interview that I really didn't like Chardonnay and Charles just laughed with like this deep visceral like belly laugh and he's like don't worry we'll get you a good one and actually to in that credit Shahalem's Enoch Chardonnay was the first Chardonnay that really started bringing me on to the Chardonnay bandwagon and now I like them. Crisp and dry, with some oak, a little buttery. Like it. It all is about the food and what I'm eating, and who's mm-hmm. making the wine, and if the quality is there, the Chardonnay is delicious. Um. So yeah, that's how I. That's how I got, I got hired. It. Um, I was hired two weeks before I graduated. and started interning, and then I was offered the position of communications coordinator about three months later on the day of my 10 year high school reunion. So that was fun to get to go to that and be like, oh yes, look at me, I'm so fancy. Um, And it was a lot of hard work. You know, the first probably year I shut up and listened. I didn't do a lot of talking. I did a lot of reading, I did a lot of tasting, Um, but I learned who the players were and how they were important. And then I spent the next three years cultivating relationships with the media, but also the industry, um, and and learning the industry inside and out. Mm
1: -hmm. Um, What were some of the biggest knowledge gaps you had when you started? What was the the hardest thing to learn?
2: Wine. I knew nothing, like truly nothing about wine when I started. Uh, I still don't know as much as I should. Um, but as we know about wine, the more you know, the more you don't know. Um, so yeah, that, that was the biggest thing. And that came down to reading and tasting and reading and tasting and reading and tasting. And I think that I have a fairly good palate. Um, I would never want to be a wine writer or wine critic. And I definitely don't have the science skills to be able to be a winemaker. Mm-hmm. But I love that I get to work in this field where I can still be involved in it and still elevate it.
1: Um, you mentioned building relationships with journalism, journalists and with, uh, with people in the industry. I'm curious what the attitude of journalists was toward Oregon Wine when you got started.
2: Yeah, so fortunately, Oregon is an industry that's built on its reputation for delivering a high-quality product. And the biggest stumbling block I think I had with journalists was that we didn't have enough producers that were in the market that they were already familiar with Mm -hmm. it. So as I'm sure you know from talking to people, we have a boutique industry, something like 70% of our wineries are doing 5,000 cases or less. Um, Many of them are not in national distribution. And so that is the hardest point. It wasn't even that the writers didn't want to cover it. It's that their editors won't pick up the piece, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Because if the wines aren't available, nobody's gonna get it. Sure. And even a travel piece, they'll do a travel piece, come to the Willamette Valley, go to Southern Oregon, come out to the Columbia Gorge, get some wine, and they'll include two or three wines that you're only gonna be able to find in the market. But the bulk of them, they want people to be able to go out and pull that off the shelf or find that sure. at their restaurant so that they are familiar with the product when they go out. And it's this sort of reverse thinking that I think we had to break down Um, Also, just from things that have changed, when I started there were like 350 wineries in the state, and now we have close to 800. Mm -hmm. So as the masses have grown, um, people are able to find our wines more available Mm -hmm. in the market, and I think that that's really helped us.
1: So what were some of the most um, memorable accomplishments when you are Oregon Wine Bar? What were some of the things that you were proudest of?
2: You know, when I started, we had never done, we had done one big domestic media tour Mm -hmm. um, prior to me starting, and we started to make that a yearly habit, and I think that that's one of the biggest accomplishments um, that's still going, that's the most beneficial. Mm -hmm. Um, Also, when I started, it, it wasn't, we didn't have the best Um, how do I say this? When I started, when you think of a train at a station and it's fully stopped, it takes a long time to get that train up and going at Mm -hmm. full speed again, right? Um, when I started at the Wine Board, it was like a stopped train. We were doing some programming, but we weren't doing it to the best of our ability. Um, the entire staff had just turned over. Um, It was a weird time in their life, and so we were literally a train stopped at a track, and the first two to three years was getting that train up to momentum, and I'm so proud, even though I'm not there anymore, to see that that train is fully running, like the mm-hmm. symposium this year was such a great time to see the accomplishments that everyone at the Wine Board has done, the work that they're putting into research and not just technical research, but consumer research and economic research on how that's in fa- impacting our state is is amazing. Um, the work that Sally has now taken over at the Wine Board in terms of coverage and the coverage that we're growing, mm-hmm. um, it's unbelievable and it's incredible. Mm-hmm. And I'm happy that I was part of getting that train moving, now I'm happy that I'm off of that train (laughs) as it fully
1: sails. Sure. sure. What what would, in your mind, what do you feel the most important role the wine board plays is?
2: I, I mean, they are our industry thought leader. They need to be the ones that are out there ahead of everyone else predicting what market changes are coming, what trends are coming, how we can position our state wineries. And again, throughout the state, not just the Willamette Valley wineries, but like, how can we bring Southern Oregon along for the ride? Mm -hmm. Southern Oregon's growing faster than any other portion in the state. Mm -hmm. Um, And so the wine board on the national level needs to be able to predict those trends and help bring in that new opportunity.
1: So you mentioned going into this job without any wine knowledge. This is something I can relate to as well. <laughs> um, what are some of the, beyond kind of wine knowledge, what are some of the other skills, uh, lessons you learned at the wine board that have sort of stuck with you?
2: Mm. I think being, being nimble and agile. Um, because we are a state agency. And we did not have a lot of money, so how do you make a dollar spread out, right? Mm-hmm. And how do you show equity, you know, to the entire state, and again, not just the Willamette Valley? And I'll tell you, I joke when I, I tell this joke a lot to other people when it when you're dealing with writers. Um, they'll call and it's, you know, everyone wants to go to the Irie Vineyards because that was the first one in the Lama Valley. Uh, Everyone wants to go to Domaine Duran because of the French connection. And you can't just go to those two places. You have to share the love and you have to spread it out. Um, So finding ways to do that and to achieve like the accomplishments that maybe a journalist might want without going to the same people every time and making sure that they get some of those other smaller gems. And part of that you know, goes back to knowing, like I, I talked about having relationships in the industry, knowing the producers and mm-hmm. tasting their wines and going to these industry meetings and getting out as much as possible. And when I didn't have that knowledge, having those connections at the regional level where I could call you know, when Michael Donovan was on the board mm-hmm. or you know, Terry Brandborg down in Southern Oregon or even Sue Horseman when she was the executive director and being like, okay, who? And, and touching with them so that we're not going to the same wineries that they're going to. Again, sharing that love and having that bigger global picture of who's on first.
1: I'm curious, um, as you're developing these relationships, uh, what is the industry's response to the wine board? And to you personally, are they excited to work with you and get pu- publicity? Are, they, are you an annoyance? Are you a their side? Is it somewhere in the middle?
2: Uh... It probably depends on the day and the week (laughs) and the time that you ask. I definitely got emails where I'd be like, hey, can you come to this winemaker thing on a Sunday afternoon? And they're like, Michelle, it's Mother's Day. And I'm like, yeah, I know, but they're here. (laughs) So it can definitely be both, but I think it's all in the approach in the ask. And I never took anything personally because it isn't personal. It's that difference between refusal and rejection they aren't rejecting me, they aren't mad at me. They just don't want that offer. They're refusing that offer.
1: So then, how did you come to find yourself working for Stolar?
2: Um, So I had been with the wine board for just shy of six years. Couple months shy of six years. And um, right around the holidays, right around, um, New Year's Eve, my husband and I had had a heart-to-heart about what do we want to do? Where do we want to go? You know, we're still young, um, we don't own our house yet, but we kind of wanted to rent a house before we bought a house to know what we might want from a house when we (laughs) do buy. And we couldn't do that in Portland. And I didn't want to drive for an hour into the valley. And I had felt that I had achieved everything that I could at the Wine Board. Again, that train was fully running and I'd gotten into this place where it was very uh it was very repetitive you know it's it's january so we prepare for the symposium in february then once that's done we're preparing for oregon wine month in may then when that's done i'm doing the big fam tour in july and i'm setting up for that oops now it's harvest so we're talking about harvest and then it's and then it's and then it's and it was for two years fully like all right we're on a schedule and this is what we're doing and that to me wasn't um fulfilling and nourishing my soul and my professional career so I was ready for that next challenge and amazingly, like a month exactly after Sam and I had had that conversation about what do we want to do, where do we want to go, it's time for me to start looking, Stoller had put out an ad that they were looking for a communications professional to come in house and grow their PR and I was like, oh my god, that's me. (laughs) Uh, And furthermore, it's a company that's big enough to have someone like me. It's a company that, you know, Bill Stoller is a native Oregonian Mm -hmm. like me. He cares about the environment and his people uh, and his community, which is something that I care about. Melissa is a badass female winemaker who, I mean, I, I love her. She's so inspiring and wants to get back to making sure that everyone on her team is happy. She's gonna tell it to you like it is. So sometimes, you know, she can have a little sass or a little diva e. But like, I appreciate it because it's honest, right? Mm -hmm. It's honest and it's truthful, and it's it's how we should treat our coworkers. Mm -hmm. And then there's Gary. I mean, Gary was probably after I had my interview with him. um, I've learned so much just working under the leadership of Gary Mm Mortensen, who's the same way. I mean, he works hard, he plays hard, and he treats his staff that way. Mm -hmm. And I love it. I love it.
1: I can tell you love it. (laughs) So tell me about the process. You mentioned interviewing with Gary. uh, Yeah. The process of getting the job, and then what their expectations of you were.
2: Yeah, so um, they had been working with Dixie Huey at Mm -hmm. Trellis Gross Partners. God, I started in 2017. They'd probably been with her for close to 10 years. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe a little shy of that, maybe eight. But still, um, so it had been at arm's reach. And is an interesting brand too, right? Because Bill Stoller had invested in Ridgecrest Vineyard with Harry Peterson Nedry. And then Harry took the vineyard and started to make a commercial winery, and Bill invested in that. And the same year that they became partners, the Stoller cousins decided, I think it was the cousins, maybe it was the uncle, decided that they wanted to sell the property that they were going to get out of the turkey business. So he bought that to grow a vineyard, and he never wanted to make wine. Well, then 2001 comes along, and he's like, well, I want this much wine. And then uh, 2003 comes along, and Harry's like, you need to get your own winemaker. And then 2005 comes along and Harry's like, you need to build your own winery, right? So it's (laughs) a slow progression of growth. And that's sort of how it was with PR. So they they wanted to do this. They wanted to bring a PR person in-house. And um, we came, we talked about it. We talked about, you know, I came with a list of questions. What are you doing? What are you not doing? What do you think of? And it was like a three or four hour interview in which we had a dialogue about how do we grow this business and how do we do it together and how do we do it naturally and authentically and in an Oregonian style. Mm-hmm. Um, so my ex- my expectations were big and my, my responsibilities were, you know, how do we grow Stoller, which is a very strong regional brand mm-hmm. into a strong national brand, which I'm not sure that we've done that yet. And I've been with them just over two years, but I think we're on the path to do that. Mm -hmm. Um, And I have the best assets available between Melissa Burr and then Jason Tosh started a week after I did. So he had been the vineyard manager at Onami, and now he's our VP of Vineyard Ops. And he's so brilliantly spoken. He's great on camera. He's fabulous to work with. And just like Melissa, he's going to tell it to you like it is. There's no gray area with those people, Mm -hmm. and I love that.
1: so tell me about your what your actual role what you kind of oversee at store
2: yeah so um when i started betsy hannaford had just left a couple months prior she had been in the marketing role and then they had dixie for pr Mm -hmm. um and when i started we had austin raz on staff who was the digital brand manager uh, and, and with Betsy, they were a cohesive team on the marketing side, but again, you still had Dixie doing PR. Um, I was brought in to do PR, but then it also became clear I also had to do Betsy's role, so we spent about a year of that and going, this doesn't work. We need we need a third piece of this, just mm-hmm. like we had before. We didn't really replace Betsy. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the Chehalem acquisition happened. And in doing that, Jenna LaCroix had been at Shahalam as club manager and had just positioned into this new marketing role. And uh, she became our third wheel. She's now our marketing director. She and I are side-by-side co-winging. Austin is now our creative director. We've hired... Um, Cat Casey for social media, digital storytelling, as well as Mindy Gimarelli. Mm -hmm. Um, And then, ironically, I've hired Aaron Williams as my part-time marketing coordinator to help Austin with a lot of his graphic stuff. So now we have this little cohesive team of about four and a half people across five brands, um, as I joke, in Pinky and the Brain style, slowly taking over the world.
1: Sure, sure. Uh, tell me about the. You, you mentioned the 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 Chehalem acquisition and the, and the growth of this brand. Yeah. Uh, just after you'd started, so tell me about sort of that your role in that and how that sort of changed what you were doing and, and how you were vi- envisioning your job.
2: Um, so probably it must have been August or September twenty seventeen. Um, I had slowly started doing more and more PR work for Shehalem as well, so this was actually a natural progression to me. Um, Gary had already come in and was it was GM over here at Shehalem, Steve, who's our VP of Finance. Mm-hmm. Um, he was the controller over here, so this was natural that some people were starting to come over and help out with the business. Um, When it became clear that there was going to be an acquisition, I helped with all of the messaging around that, and I still think it's so important that while acquisitions are really tough and they're really emotional, Mm -hmm. that we remember that this is a friendship. Like Bill wouldn't be here if it weren't for Harry, and we want to pay homage to this legacy. Mm -hmm. Um, Harry was a mentor to to Bill and really instrumental in getting him into this business, and we need to pay respect to that. Mm
1: -hmm. Sure. So what would you say your main goal is at Stoller?
2: With the Stoller brand or with the wine group?
1: The wine group. Well, both. With the Stoller brand and the wine group in general.
2: Yeah, I think think the goals with Stoller, with the brand, is to continue to produce... to over-deliver for the quality and to provide the best guest experience that we can. Mm -hmm. Um, The Stoller property is Bill's family home, right? Like that's where he lived when he was a little kid, they moved a couple of miles down the road, that's where he came with his dad every day to work, that's home and we want you to feel like you're at home when you're there. So we need to provide this authentic experience, which means we allow kids, we allow dogs, people can bring in a picnic lunch. Bill grew up in Dayton, so we want you to feel like you can afford a bottle of wine when you come in. And if you're buying a bottle of wine or a tasting flight, we recognize that, that means you might not also be able to afford the charcuterie lunch. Or maybe you can, but you don't want to. Mm-hmm. So I think we need to provide that sort of experience and, and make it more of an experience and not just a traditional tasting. You know, the, the research tells us that that's what millennials want. Um, that's what Gen Xers want, so, so let's do it, mm-hmm. and let's do it in an authentically Oregon way. For the Stoller Wine Group, our mission is to, to keep these five brands autonomous and to make them not feel like, you know, Stoller 2.0, Stoller <laughs> 3.0, because they're not, and that's mm-hmm. not our intent with it at all. Mm-hmm.
1: So in doing that, what are your challenges then as communications director? How do you, how do you keep things separate?
2: I, um, voice is my biggest challenge Mm -hmm. and making it not sound like me, right? And making each of those brands have their own voice. Um, It's important that we have, Kat is doing social for three of the brands. Mindy's doing social for two of the brands. They are, Mindy is in her forties. Kat is barely 30. Mm -hmm. She's in her thirties, but just barely, right? So like making sure that we have the right people that have the right voice, that mm-hmm. match the people that are coming to these establishments. Um, do we do it perfectly? No, but we're trying. Mm-hmm. As I tell my team all the time, it's progress, not perfection. Sure.
1: So in addition to your work at Wineboard and Stoller, you've also been part of the IPNC team as well. Yeah. So tell, tell me a little bit about your time with IPNC.
2: So IPNC came around, um, when I was at the wine board, because I used it as my biggest carrot for national media, which was somewhat controversial, I think, within the industry itself, using it in that capacity. But it allowed me a way to go out to wine writers and be like, hi, I'm doing a media trip. And my, I mean, this was like a slog of a trip, right? It's a week-long, seven-day trip. And I would change it every year. Either we would fly into Portland, and drive down to Medford and fly them out of Medford, or we would fly them into Medford and come up to Portland, and I would put IPNC in there somewhere, right around IPNC. Mm-hmm. So either the trip started on a Monday, or maybe it started on a, a Wednesday, and you know, depending sure. on where we were going. But it was my to come to come to Oregon, come with me to all of these different wine growing regions and come to the IPNC and taste Oregon wines up against some of the best producers in the world. Mm-hmm. And it was the best carrot. Um, so in doing that, I was invited to join the, uh, the, the Media Planning Committee mm-hmm. and loved doing that. I loved trying to align the media that I was bringing into this trip that were media that IPNC also wanted. Um, but not exclusively, right? So like I would come with my list of, here's who I'm thinking, this is why I'm thinking them, this is what I think will benefit from them, how do you feel about them and being in this synergistic page with them. And there were some times that I'd bring a writer and they're like, God, that really doesn't do anything for us and this is why it doesn't do anything for us or they just came. And so it was a it was a dialogue and it was a back and forth. Um, I'd been at Stoller for probably, seven or eight months Mm -hmm. and I got a call from Amy Wesselman that there was an opening on the board and would I be interested in joining Mm -hmm. and that the reason that they had selected me as somebody to join the board was because of my media understanding they wanted to make sure that someone on the board was a key member of that committee uh, because Sheila Nicholas was going to roll off the following year so there was a year that I got to be on there with her so that we could share and explain knowledge and understanding. In my opinion, it's the best event in the entire world. The IPNC is a truly magical experience. um, And something that we're we're working on actively is trying to get that message out, not to just traditional wine writers, Mm -hmm. because this is a lifestyle, food and wine, world-class event, Mm -hmm. and we need more people to know that. Um, I think we're doing ourselves a disservice if we're only talking to wine lovers and not to travel and food and everything else that goes along with that event. I mean, some of the best chefs in the Pacific Northwest, Mm -hmm. some even come in from California sometimes to to make foods at these events, the wines that you have access to, the knowledge and understanding that you have access to, it's it's truly remarkable.
1: So you're on the IPNC board now. Mm-hmm. What are you, you, you talk about it being a great event already and, and mm-hmm. trying to expand the breadth. Are, is there anything about IPNC itself you're working to change? Is, there, is it? Is it kind of like we're just gonna make it bigger and better or is it?
2: Well, I mean, I think capacity-wise, we're at about capacity, right? <laughs> so it's not getting bigger in that regard, mm-hmm. but it's helping to maintain the integrity of the event, mm-hmm. um, helping to, shape it for future generations. Like last year we finally had a really big uptick of new attendees Mm -hmm. versus those that had been past attendees. And the demographics on those attendees were starting to skew younger. If we want this event to be around for the next, you know, 100 years, we have to get the millennials on board. And while not all of the millennials have money, some of them do, so how do we, how do we find ways to market this event to them and mm-hmm. to get them aware of what this event is? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think those are our biggest goals and challenges.
1: Sure. And you're also on the marketing committee for, or were on the marketing committee for the Wine Valley Winers Association? Oh, I still am, yeah. Still are. Yep. Oh, it's hard to tell a little bit with Current. Yeah. Um, tell me a little bit about your work with that.
2: Yeah, so, um, being Willamette Valley Wineries, we need to have a direct tie to our local, regional association. Um, Again, my background is in PR, so that's my voice that I bring to that committee. Um, And I'm working on the branding and strategic, strategic positioning, uh, branding, I don't remember exactly the time, but that's, that's my pod. Like, What's our strategy? How do we communicate that strategy? What is the foundation and the brand of the WVWA? Mm-hmm. Um, and what's great about the committee is it's broken up into all of these subsets. So it used to be 20 people in a room with a ton of different ideas spinning our wheels and not going anywhere. We've restructured it so that there are different subsets and pods, so there's mm-hmm. one that's all on um, tourism Mm -hmm. And being connected to the tourism aspect of it. There's one on trade education, there's one on the consumer experience, and then there's this more strategic and branding one. Um, And so we tend to meet in our smaller groups, sometimes more frequently than others, um, and then we report back to the greater
1: committee. Mm -hmm. And what, so um I'm. you obviously you're you're pretty well positioned as Wyoming well valley Winer Association. You are the kind of the, the crown jewel of Oregon industry, the one that's at least the most well known. So what is it that you are worried about for the future? What are you trying to change or fix?
2: Um, well we all need more consumers, whether that's the Willamette Valley or Southern Oregon. Mm-hmm. So we need to get people to recognize that and to come here. Mm-hmm. Um, I think our biggest challenges right now are making sure that when the consumer does decide to come to the Willamette Valley that they have the resources that they need to effectively plan a trip uh, and make a successful trip. Not sure that we have that yet, but we we are definitely having discussions on how to make it better. We also need to know who our consumer is so that we can do a better job communicating to them. So. The WVWA as well as the OWB have both completed some research studies, some consumer profile research studies, which ironically we just delved through yesterday, looking at the findings, trying to suss out what we're going to do. And I think collectively as a group, we thought from this research we would have these are our markets, this is our consumer, and what the research told us is, no, we actually have a myriad of consumers, and so we need a myriad of strategies that matches that demographic uh, and go after it in that way, versus we're going to Texas and we're going for boomers. Like That's not what the research told us at all. And we need to be the thought leaders of driving that. Uh, driving that. We need to be the thought leaders of driving this. And we need to do a better job communicating with our tourism partners, right? So Visit Willamette Valley brands itself as Oregon wine country. These two organizations need to do a better job of communicating when wine is involved, relying on one another, or when tourism is involved, whether that's you know, booking hotel stays or the other things to do in the Willamette Valley. We need to be sharing this information and working in lockstep with one another. Um, and I think we're getting there. Mm-hmm. We're definitely not there yet, but we're getting there.
1: you mentioned that your consumer data kind of shows that you have a wide variety of consumer Mm -hmm. and so a wide variety of strategies needed is there uh, what are the strategies you're taking to or or thinking about taking to kind of broaden that to, to, to reach all these different people in all these different places
2: so by and large and this is actually one of the more frightening bits. There's a research study done in 1989 that showed that the average age of the person visiting the Willamette Valley was 21 to I think 35 right? 1989. So let's jump ahead 30 years. The average age of the consumer visiting the Willamette Valley is now 51 to 75 exactly 30 years, right? (laughs) Like, So it's the same person that's out here visiting us. However, we do see that millennials want to come. We do see that Gen Xers want to go out and they want that experience. They're visiting fewer wineries than the one that's coming in droves, this this late Gen Xer. They're doing more things while they're here, like one of their prime motivators for out-of-state tourists that are coming to Oregon is outdoor activity and recreation. If it's an international guest coming in, it's 30% of them want this outdoor activity. So, if we think of the traditional consumer that's here, if we think of the boomer, they're going to be looking um, on winery websites, in magazines, in publications, at scores to design a trip. Mm -hmm. The younger Gen Xer or Millennial is not going to be on that. Their primary driver is word of mouth, which also includes social media. Mm -hmm. So there needs to be these two different strategies that we're playing for this long game. And again, we need to be working more with our tourism partners for a more cohesive um, habitat Mm -hmm. of resources to give them to plan a trip and make this more effective.
1: So you have uh, obviously helped us quite a bit when it comes to planning oral history interviews with Stoller Group. This is our, f- our fourth Stoller Group interview, I believe. Mm-hmm. Um, why do you think it's important that we do these interviews and capture these histories?
2: Because the history is going to inform the future, right? And, and we have to have it somewhere. Like, everything goes back to what happened before so we don't repeat the same steps or we can capture this little snapshot in time of where we were. I mean, in, in the eight years I've been in the industry, we've grown something like 64% in the terms of number of wineries and number of brands. Mm-hmm. We need to capture this while it's happening because all of a sudden we're gonna look back and be like, whoa, we're now a 1,000 wineries. We're now 2,000 vineyards we're now the second largest producing wine state not that I think that that'll necessarily happen but you know like we need to capture it while it's in the moment, while it's fresh while we're thinking about it rather than waiting and looking back and remembering things that we can't remember Sure.
1: You've been involved in even though it's only been eight years in the industry. You've been involved in a lot of different places, a lot of different perspectives. I'm curious. Uh, you started. You started by working for the statewide agency, focused mm-hmm. on bringing people to the whole state. Bringing and now you're focused on an individual, one individual company within it. Uh, I'm curious if your perspective on the industry has changed going from larger to more focused, or if you still have kind of a the same general industry perspective that you did when you started.
2: I've learned a lot more being in-house versus being at arm's reach. Like there are some logistical realities that I had never considered when I was working at the line board. And now being at one brand, I see that you see the wizard a little bit more, right? <laughs> um, and I like that. I miss getting to tell all the stories though. I like it when I get to collaborate with other wineries on projects. I like it, you know, I helped the Dundee Hills went out and got a grant to do a media tour last year, Mm -hmm. and I loved, I joined that subcommittee and we helped plan this tour and talk about what makes the Dundee Hills special, what makes us all special, because I think when you can talk about the whole, you get to see the parts a little bit more, right? It might not be as intuitive, but it's that collegiality that Oregon is known for that we all love. Mm
1: And now you've interacted with people throughout the state and people throughout the industry from a variety of perspectives. Do you, as you've spoken with people and worked with people, do you get the sense that that most people view the challenges facing the industry in roughly the same way, or do you feel that different people, different parts, are are looking at different challenges uh, and, and having different? having different concerns about the future.
2: Absolutely. I mean, it depends on what their background is, right? So I do PR and marketing, to a lesser extent marketing, mostly PR, but right, I'm in that sort of role. And so mine is about positioning and messaging and getting the guest here, and yes, selling wine, but not in that traditional method of selling wine with what it is that I specifically do. but if you're the winemaker and you're a small winemaker, let's say you know you're you're Rich Cushman out in the gorge, right? Like that's a much more narrow focused. He's the winemaker making these decisions versus me as a marketing person, and so the things that he's going to be worried about are different than the things that I'm worried about.
1: And so, what are the you're worried about? What are the challenges that you see? Uh, coming down the pike, what are the things that are you're concerned about for your job specifically?
2: Um, I mean, we we, get, we have to position better, and mm, let me rethink about that because I know I know what I want to say, but how do I say it? <laughs> uh, it comes back down to getting consumers here and giving them the experience that they want. The traditional wine tasting, belly up to a bar, is not, in my opinion, what consumers want. Um, And I'm not saying that everyone wants to come and hang out at Solar, which they do, right? And have this, like, I'm not saying everyone wants that experience. Mm -hmm. Sometimes they want a more educational experience. We have to be able to have a myriad of experiences for that consumer, just like the research data showed us that we have a myriad of people and profiles that want to come here. We as an industry need to be able to provide all of this without the napification of the super high elevated and that's all you get experience. That we're finding uh, and we're watching isn't working. You know, Napa traffic is down. Mm -hmm. There was this report that came out uh, in February that hotel and room stays in Napa and Sonoma are down 11%
1: versus the year prior. That's a lot.
2: It's a lot, right? And we were talking about this yesterday in this meeting I was in, like, is it the natural disasters that they've been having down there? The fires? Probably. But is it also that they've priced themselves out of the consumer expectation? Mm -hmm. Um, And I I know, like, if we look at the Stoller as an example, right? Like, people want to come because they can hang outside with their friends and their kids, and they can drink their wine, they can have a tasting, and it's chill. Mm Um, but we also know that our club members love it when we do things where they get to learn a little bit more. Every year when we release our sparkling wine, we do this around the world tasting where they get to taste wines, sparkling wines from lots of different regions, ours included. And we bring in our, our Kate Payne Brown, our associate winemaker that oversees the sparkling program with Melissa. Um, she really teaches about these different styles and methods and how they got to that result and they want that too. Right? Mm-hmm. So it's, again, it's being able to be adaptive, to be um, responsive to the consumer needs and providing a myriad of experiences. Sure. It, I think the, the biggest part on that is regardless, it's not just about the wine anymore. Mm-hmm. The quality of wine is no longer the goal. That's the gateway, that's the entry level. Like mm-hmm. you have to make good wine. But what else? What else can you be doing?
1: Sure. That's a big change from the past.
2: Yeah. Well, and you can... And there are a handful of producers in this exact camp in Oregon. You could be making the best wine in the world and growing the best fruit possible from your site. And if you can't market it and get people to come out and taste it, then it's for nothing.
1: Mm-hmm. Sure. And it's sad. Yeah. So. Where do you see yourself going in the future then, uh, personally and professionally?
2: Um, I don't know. I am very happy where I'm at right now. The professional growth and development and freedom that I'm allowed to experience uh, at the Stoller Wine Group because of all of the brands that we have is incredibly rewarding. Um, working with someone like Gary Mortenson, I am um, I'm nourished every day. Sometimes a little batty, but like that's good, right? Like he challenges me as as a person and as mm-hmm. a professional, and I couldn't be more happy with that. Um, will I be with Stoller forever? I don't know. Bill Stoller has a long tenured history of keeping people on staff for 20, 30 years, and he rewards longevity and he mm-hmm. rewards tenure within his, his company. He loves believing in people and watching them grow throughout their career. Sure. So it's entirely possible that, yeah, I'll stay on this crazy train and we, we will take over the world, uh, I jest, but, <laughs> but, but, but no, yeah, I'm, I'm so happy. And I hope that we're giving back to the community, too. I hope that we're helping you and the students at Linfield. Like I want to help this community through what it is that we're doing as our winery. The the B Corp movement that Mm -hmm. we're a part of, both Stoller and Chehalem are certified B Corps. When we go for recertification, we're going to do it as the whole parent company with all of the sub brands, so everybody will be B Corp Mm -hmm. certified. I think there's a lot that we can do from our company with that community. yeah, I hope that answers that
1: question. It does. I was going to follow up asking Future for store. Obviously, you're in the midst of a lot of changes recently, a lot of new brands and, and groups. So what, uh, what else do you see on the, on the horizon for the store wine group?
2: You know, I would almost bet that we're not done growing, um, but that we need to do it in a way that's authentically Oregonian. Um, we need to do it in a way that is mindful and respectful of our neighbors. Um, so what that looks like, I, I have no idea. But I know that everyone on throughout our company at each of the brands is a gamer. <laughs> and that all comes directly from Bill all the way down.
1: Mm-hmm. And what about the industry in general, you know, we always ask this, what do you see in the future for Oregon wine? You have a very interesting perspective on this.
2: <laughs> I I think that we as an industry will continue to grow mm-hmm. and will continue to thrive. Um, climate is definitely going to impact and change some things. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not sure that I could predict how. I'm not sure that anyone could. Um, I mean, it's been a really weird spring thus far. Are we back on a normal trajectory? I don't know. Um, Hopefully it's not a 2011 again where we stay cold throughout the year, but if it is, we know we're gonna have some killer wines five years later. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah. I foresee with the growth that we've had we're probably gonna have some setbacks. We're probably gonna have some businesses that don't make it. We're probably gonna have some other brands get purchased up, whether that's by California or France or Washington, or even within Oregon, like we've done. Um, And I think that that's natural, as long as it's done with the same mentality for collegiality for which we're known. Mm -hmm. And I think that we can't, as an industry, lose sight of that.
1: Well, that's all the questions that I have. As you know, I always ask at the end if there's anything else you'd like to talk about, anything I didn't ask. I don't think so. Open even open forum with an open microphone here. Yeah.
2: So. Was there anything that you guys want to ask that isn't on this list yeah. from what I've said? I've
1: added any questions. Being a woman? Yeah. Oh, it's a good question. Okay. Yeah. Uh, being a woman in the wine industry. Uh, obviously, you're not a winemaker, but you're still a woman in the wine industry. Tell us about your experiences.
2: Um, mine are probably uh, less important or less um, groundbreaking than other women in this business because I'm in marketing, mm-hmm. and the data shows that women in the industry are in marketing. Like we, God, I saw a research study recently that I think in California it was like fifty some odd percent of marketing roles were women. So. For me, I, I'm on a level play, playing field, but being with the Stoller Wine Group where you know more than half of our senior leadership is made up of women, mm-hmm. throughout the company more than half are women, um, or at least half are women, um, it's fantastic to be a part of that mm-hmm. and to watch that growth and to be in, in such a supportive environment. Um, at the same time, we have a lot of work to do with DEI. Mm -hmm. and making sure that we're being uh, more inclusive and more inviting and not just leaving the door unlocked but actually opening it and welcoming in for people of different ethnicity uh, people of different sexual orientation uh, people of different binary or non-binary status Mm -hmm. Um, so gender yeah i think we're doing leaps and bounds but that doesn't mean that there isn't work to be done
0: um i was just kind of wondering about the challenges and kind of like the learning curve that you or your team has had to um, go through in terms of marketing and reaching the younger um, generations? Yes and no. So we,
2: I made the mistake when I first started at Stoller of letting a couple of younger girls come in with under my guidance and really run our social channels Mm -hmm. and we did not see much effect with it. We didn't see our engagement growing. We didn't see things, it, it was stagnant. It wasn't detrimental, but like it wasn't the results that we wanted. And at the end of the day, I had this realization that social media is still just marketing. It's still just communication. And so you need somebody that's a strong master at those disciplines, behind those channels, doing it in a way and telling that story. Uh, that's going to reach to the demographic that you want to get at. So, how you do it again is who is your consumer, who is your your base, and the way that you tell that story, um, or the channels that you're on, you might alter to meet where that audience is at. But at the end of the day, it is still just marketing and communication.
0: It's an interesting way of putting it. I always wonder, like, how um, like older generations attack like the younger generation and if it's like difficult to navigate like that technology or... I think for some people it
2: is right but again if we go back to the and and this is sad it's sad for the small guy who can't afford someone like me on staff or can't afford an agency to help them and so they're trying to do it all yeah they're probably not having the same results that I'm seeing um, being a marketing professional and a PR professional but if you know those disciplines, you, you understand how how to utilize those channels for marketing. Mindy is a great example. So Mindy, who does our social and our content creation for Shehalem and for chemistry, um, she's in her early to mid 40s, I'm gonna guess. I don't actually know how old she is. But she got. It. she's a marketing professional who got into social when it first became a thing. And so she has grown up in her career as social has grown up. And so it's been really easy for her to adapt and understand how these things work. Um, And as any good marketing professional should, we need to pay attention to technology as technology changes and make sure that we are staying relevant with how this technology is going to affect our business. Having a website is no longer like, like that, the web, the digital sphere is the playing field. So if you don't have a strong website that's SEO friendly and optimized, that's ready to to change on. Mobile, right, or or other devices, you're not even playing the game. Mm -hmm. You're off on the sideline doing something else, or maybe you're still in the parking lot. Like, you're not even playing the game. These are the barriers to entry these days. Um, So, we have to recognize that and that it's changing.
0: That's cool. Thank you. Yeah.
1: And thank you, yes. (laughs) If if there's anything else, I'll thank you for your time and for your answers, and we'll go ahead and wrap it up. Thank you. Thank you for joining us for this edition of the Oregon Wine History Archive podcast. And thank you to all the supporters, partners, donors, and interviewees who have made our project a success. Be sure to check out our website at OregonWineHistoryArchive.org for more interviews, plus photographs, wine labels, and more. And stay tuned for more interviews as we tell the story of Oregon wine. The Oregon Wine History Archive podcast is brought to you by the Oregon Wine History Archive at Linfield College. The executive producer is Kiana Anderson. Producers are Rich Schmidt, Rachel Woody, Stephanie Hoffman, and Camille Weber. And a special thanks to all the Linfield Archive students who have contributed to these oral history interviews over the years.